Well, are you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. Lord, I thank you that as we spend time in your word this morning, that each and every one of us would have a fresh revelation from you, that we would all grow in maturity this morning or grow in our faith. And Lord, I pray that if there would be anything that would stand in the way, any, any barriers, any, any walls, anything that would be in front of us that would uh, cause us to not be able to receive what you have for us, Lord, that, that it would be torn away, it would be torn down, broken down, Lord, that our eyes would be open, our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us, and that your word would accomplish inside of us what you intend it to accomplish. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about a tough one today, obedience. How many know that that's not a, a very popular word, particularly here in the United States? It's almost taboo. Nobody likes the word obedience because we're taught to be our own man, our own woman. We're taught to not be held down by anyone. You got to take care of yourself. You got to love yourself. It's always about you, you, you. So we never want to, to submit or deal with anybody else. Matter of fact, to submit to somebody else, to be obedient to someone else, can almost be seen as a sign of weakness in today's culture. We're also seeing more often that someone who expects obedience when it's called for is being looked down on or mocked. They're actually looked on uh, as, as somebody that's doing something wrong. And you guys might be saying, what are you talking about? I'm not really seeing that. But what about all these parents who would rather be their, their kids' friends than their parent? For somehow asking their kids to be obedient, training their kids to be obedient, being an authority figure in their life is somehow looked down upon and they want to be their friends. And then they can't figure out why their kids are crazy. <laughs> Acting a mess. And then unfortunately, there are also those who would take advantage of authority and set things up for uh, abuse. They would take advantage and, and instead of acting in a healthy manner, ask people to be obedient, they would take advantage to have their own needs met or their own wants met and they force somebody else to do it. And, and that's not obedience, that's abuse when you see situations like that. So today, I really want to take a few moments to look what it means to be obedient from a biblical perspective. How many know that obedience is a key biblical principle? Obedience is a, is a key principle in the life of a Christian. And I want to look at today what it means to be obedient and what actually is the outcome of obedience in your life. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was growing up, I didn't like to be obedient either. I didn't like people telling me what to do. It always just seemed like people were trying to put you under their thumb or trying to control you. And it wasn't until that I joined the military that I began to understand why obedience was important. You see, in the military, they actually demand obedience from you. It's not an option. And when I grew up, I, I, I was forced to be obedient, and I didn't understand it, and uh, I would just get mad. It wasn't until later that I figured it out. Matter of fact, I would get told to do something or my parents would try to not let me do something or teach me to do something. I would just get, get angry and I would get upset, especially at my stepfather when I was growing up. When I was a teenager, the stepfather uh, that I had, um, turns out that he was doing a lot of the stuff that I was doing as a kid. And, and wouldn't you know, I was getting caught all the time. <laughs> you see, my mom uh, for a while was, a, was a, a single mom taking care of us, and, and the truth is, is that uh, 
uh, my sister and I, we would take advantage of her and we would try to get away with stuff. And I don't know if, if she was actually oblivious or I don't know if you know this, but many single moms are just, they're just tired and it's always a fight. I know I saw that with my wife uh, when I first met her. She was a single mom of, of two girls. They were two and three years old when I met her. And, and sometimes she, she didn't want to fight anymore because she was just tired. She was doing it by herself. But uh, when my stepdad came in, his name was Randy, and all of a sudden I was in trouble all the time. Man, I was so angry at that guy for that. Because obviously when I did something stupid and got in trouble, he's the one that got me in trouble, right? But the reality was I was doing stupid stuff. I was getting caught. And I, I was so angry that I was getting in trouble. And I would, I was, there was one point in my life I think I was grounded like the entire year except for a week. And uh, I, look, I was so mad during that time, but I look back now and I'm so grateful. Because that man kept me out of a lot of stupid stuff. It's hard to get in trouble and do stupid stuff when you're grounded to your room. And, but it wasn't until years later that I realized, you know, what an impact that had on my life. And actually, that was a blessing that he was requiring obedience of me. He was disciplining me. That was a blessing. And it wasn't a curse like I thought it was. And then I joined the army, like I said, and right out of high school. And all of a sudden, I began to see obedience in a new life, a new light, because obedience in the army is not just a good idea, but it's actually a matter of life and death. If you didn't obey the rules regarding gun safety, somebody could get killed. If you didn't obey instructions when it came to cleaning your rifle, it may fail on you in the battlefield. How many knows you don't want to be in a gunfight with a gun that doesn't work? It may fail on you. It may fall apart. Welcome. Come on in. When I was in the, the military, um, particularly, it was it was not too far out of out of the uh, the the Gulf War, and uh, they were teaching us how to use a gas mask and mop gear. Mop gear was the full gear you put on to protect yourself from chemical attacks. But the way you take care of a gas mask is very specific. You got to keep it clean and in working order. But even more so, there's a special way that you have to fold it up to put it in the bag that you carry at your side. Because if you don't fold it up that way, then when you, when you, if you were to come under a chemical attack, you can't get it out fast enough and put it on your face to actually protect you. Could you imagine having some sort of chemical uh, coming, raining down and you were spending you know, three minutes fumbling trying to get the mask right to put it on your face. But if you listen and you're obedient and you fold it the way that you're supposed to fold it, you can actually put it straight out, put it to your face, clear the mask, and then you pull the stuff over the top to, 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 so you can see. But if, you, if you're obedient and you do it right, it just takes seconds. And you're safe. It'll save your life to be obedient. But if you didn't, you could be caught in a mess. I know this from experience because during bivouac, which was uh, during training, we went out and they actually hit you with real tear gas during training. And if you don't get your mask out quick enough, if you've ever been to a gas, been to the gas chamber, if you're a police officer, I'm sure you got to go through the gas chamber. Did you get to go to the gas chamber? Isn't that fun? <laughs> Hallelujah. I know there's others here in the military. Abby was in, did you do the gas chamber as well? Oh, yeah. Well, I was in bivouac and I didn't get my mask on in time. And there I am choking. And how many know it's really hard to get it on when you're choking and you can't see and when you can't breathe? But it's because, and it's not that I was disobedient. I just did it wrong, I guess. <laughs> but the truth is, is we need to pay attention. We need to be obedient because it can be life-saving. 
We were even instructed on the use of hand grenades, right? And what they do is they give you these metal shells and teach you how to throw them and how to use them. They don't do anything, but then they take you out to the range and you throw live grenades. Could you imagine if you weren't obedient with a live grenade? Somebody could be seriously injured or killed. It's actually why I chose this picture for the, for the, uh, the sermon today. And it's a picture of all these gears that fit together. Now, these gears have to be manufactured a certain way. They have to have the right angles and the right design. Because if they're not, if they're not obedient to you will in their design, then when they come together, best case, you get a machine that just doesn't work very well. But worst case, you get something that could catastrophically fail. And that's how it was. In the army, in the army, obedience wasn't required to cause friction or to, to hold people back or to keep people down. Obedience was required because it would literally save people's lives. And how many know that this is the same in the church? Our obedience to God and our leaders will make the difference in an effective and ordered local church or one that's fallen into chaos. It'll make the difference in an order and affected Christian life or a Christian life that has fallen into chaos. And truthfully, your obedience will lead to the saving of your life and the life of others if you're obedient to the Word of God. So the first scripture that I want to look at today is in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, 24 through 26. And it said, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with, with me that I might bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Saul is the perfect example of somebody who was chosen by God to be the king of Israel. He had a purpose for his life. God had a plan for his life. And he was picked out of the entire nation of Israel to be God. And because his, his obedience was out of whack, that actually got pulled from him. And he wasn't able to fulfill the call that God had on his life. First, you're going to see that Saul wasn't obedient to his leader's instruction about his ministry and his personal life. If you read about Saul, you'll see that he goes through all kinds of a mess. But one of the things here before this final rejection, it says, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. He is actually speaking to Samuel. He says, I have, I have not listened to your words. So the first thing he did was listen to the words of his leaders. He was disobedient to Samuel and that led to the rejection of God. For his life. Saul had great leadership, a prophet of God, someone who actually heard the voice of God, and he didn't listen to what he said. Second, Saul wasn't obedient to God's commands about his ministry and his personal life. Directly before these verses we read here, he has a direct word from the Lord. In 1 Samuel 15, 3, it says, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and women and child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. But we find that Saul doesn't actually do what he was supposed to do. He was given a direct command by the Lord. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do because he only does it halfway. 1 Samuel 15.9 says, But Saul and the people spared Agag, which was the king of Am the Amalekites, and the best of the sheep and of the auction and of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. So he got a command from God. 
and he only followed it halfway. He, he, God says, destroy the Am- Amalekites and everything they have. And he says, oh, now we're going to keep some of the good stuff. And then he doesn't take care of the king. So that's where he says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. So now we have, he's, he's, he's not been obedient to his leader. He's not been obedient to God. And then the third thing that we have the issue with is, he's actually obedient to somebody. And it's the people around him. He chose to obey and listen to the people's demands rather than Samuel's and God's. Verse 24 says, it's because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He didn't take care of the king, Agog. He let him live. And he didn't get rid of all the livestock because they kept the good stuff for themselves. And as a direct result of this disobedience in his life, he's rejected. He says, Samuel says, I'm not going to return with you because you've rejected the word of the Lord. And now the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Because he wasn't obedient to God's word, he was actually unable to fulfill what God had called him to do. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to ever be in a position where I'm not able to fulfill what God has called me to do because I refuse to listen to what he says. Because I decide I want to do it halfway or live my own life or do my own things. I want to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I want to be obedient to. And kind of like progressive. You ever seen the progressive insurance commercials where they go ahead and they, they pick out the parts of the insurance plan that they want to follow? You know, I want to have this coverage. I want to have this coverage. How many know that Christianity is not like that? We don't get to pick out the parts that we want. It's not progressive Christianity. We have to look at the Bible and and be obedient to God's Word in every way. I never want to be in a position that I'm rejected for God's purpose for my life because I won't listen to what He has to say to me. But there's good news. If you ever do find yourself in that situation, you don't have to stay there. You can do an about face. You can repent. Put your eyes back on God and get back on track. The problem was is that Saul continued to reject God over and over and over again, doing his own thing. And if you look at Saul's life, it just gets worse after this. But the reality is is that if we will be obedient to the command of our God, we'll never find ourselves in this situation. It's time to turn around if you are there. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is an interesting statement because many people profess to love Jesus, but they choose to never do what he says. They live however they want to live, do whatever they want to do, and they refuse to to listen to what he has to say. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep your commandments. And this isn't kind of like the way, have you ever had somebody say, well, if you love me, then you'll do this. You know, I had a husband that would say, well, if you really loved me, you'd let me go to the game this weekend. That's not what, God, what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't trying to manipulate us into doing stuff. But he's stating reality of what loving someone looks like, particularly when you love the King of Kings and the Lord of Loves. Lord of Loves. Lord of Lords. He's also the Lord of Love, but he's the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. The thing is, though, when you love somebody, you want to do what they ask. You want to serve them. You actually want to obey them. And you think, well, that's kind of strange. Why, if you love somebody, would you want to obey them? But you actually see this around us all the time. Have you ever seen a great leader that the people love? 
someone who's a great leader because he loves them and, and they want to serve and obey them. We've seen that all throughout history. Just great men that people wanted to serve and obey. But this is Jesus. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the reality is, is that love is a great motivator for obedience. And it should be our motivation for loving Jesus. It's like if you uh, have children, the law says that you should put them in the seatbelt, right? But the reality is, is that out of love, you're going to be obedient to that law because it actually makes them safer. It actually keeps them safe should something happen if they're wearing a seatbelt. And, and the reality is, is that love is a great motivator for being obedient to the stuff around you. And the truth is, is that obedience for no other reason than love can give us incredible victory in our lives. Because we love him, we obey him. And the truth is, though, sometimes even when all the reasons are good and all the evidence is good, it can still sometimes be hard to obey. It makes sense to do these things like we were just talking about the, uh, the seatbelts, right? It makes sense to put your kid in a seatbelt. The evidence says that if you do that, their chances of surviving an accident are astronomically higher. But sometimes for people, that's just not enough. This is a story that I want to read to you. It says, my friend's father, an army sergeant, tried for 25 years to quit smoking. And after multiple failed attempts, he went in for his yearly medical exam with an army doctor. And the physician told him that his health was being severely harmed by smoking and that he should stop. And the sergeant confessed he knew he should stop. And in a tone of despair, he related his multiple attempts to stop smoking. Smoking. Man, it's going to be one of those days. Stop smoking over many years. And then the physician looked at him and he said, what are these two bars on my lapel? And the sergeant replied, they mean you're a captain. And he said, yes, said the captain. And they also mean I outrank you. And I'm giving you a direct order to stop smoking. My friend's father went home and never smoked another cigarette. He could not quit on his own, even after tr years of trying. But he could quit when he understood the power of a direct order from a superior officer. He was thoroughly indoctrinated by the United States Army and not willing to violate an order. And as believers in Christ, our commander-in-chief has given us many commands in the New Testament. When we take them as seriously as the sergeant took his order to quit smoking, we'll be surprised how God can transform our lives. Sometimes we obey just because we're told to obey. And the truth is, as a Christian, that should be a normal part of our character. Jesus also says that, that we're his friends. In John 15, 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So here we, we see that uh, uh, in 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But in John 15, 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And when we gave our lives to Jesus, we called him our Lord and Savior. Many people forget that. They go, oh yeah, I called him my Savior, but I'm not ready to call him my Lord. Well, it's a package deal. But when we did that, we declared voluntarily that we would be submitting ourselves to him. And we need to live our lives like what we said is true. Or was it just something you whispered into the wind? We can't continue to live like he is nowhere to be seen while we call him Lord. The truth is, that's just hypocrisy. How many 
Christians, or truthfully, uh, Christians all over carry the reputation that we're just hypocrites because so many live like this. They call him Lord, Lord, but they don't do what he says. They don't listen to his word. But the good news is, is that we're not just servants when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. How many know that a servant does what they're told just because they're a servant? But as friends, Jesus has made the mysteries of God known to us. So it's, it's not just like we're told to obey, but we're given the reasons to obey as well. God is not abiding or not hiding his plan for us or his will for us. And as friends, we collaborate alongside him in our obedience. Amen. And then in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now this is something that I want everyone to understand clearly. But the result of obedience is holiness. When we listen to what God says for our life, the outcome is that we are walking in holiness. You see, before we were saved, we did all kinds of stupid stuff. I know I did. And that's what Peter is referring to as our former ignorance. But the reality is, is in order to serve God, one of the requirements is that we be obedient. But before we were saved, we did all kinds of stupid stuff. And before Jesus, before we even knew we could be forgiven and be made brand new, we were actually acting out against God. The Bible says it actually says that we were enemies of God at that time, fighting against Him. But the problem we have as Christians is we often misunderstand what grace is in our lives. You see, grace doesn't give us the ability to sin freely but it actually gives us the ability to live sin-free. Grace isn't a license to sin in our lives. Grace is all about being free from sin in our lives. That former ignorance that we used to have to deal with, the stuff that, that the world says is okay or that we used to think was okay, we finally realized it wasn't, and now grace gives us the power to live above it. Because the reality is, as he says, it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God is holy, and the requirements to follow him is to be holy yourself. Now, we can't do that by our actions. We're actually made holy by what he accomplished in Jesus Christ. But that grace given to us allows us to live out what has been accomplished inside of us. And as obedient children, that's what we should be striving towards. That's why if you're stumbling or you're falling backwards or you're not walking with God, you're not being obedient to God, has anybody ever been there and you feel like you're far from God? That's what happens when we're not obedient. When we, when we try to live our own way, we actually feel far from God. And that's because darkness can have no fellowship with the light. We actually push God away by the way that we live our lives. But God paid an incredible price so that we could be free. Free from the sin that used to control us. And... <laughs> Well, if you're going to have a ringtone, that's a good one. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amazing grace ringtone. I think somebody's trying to sneak around the uh, silence your phone in church thing here. <laughs> Hallelujah. The reality is, is to not live in freedom, to not actually live in freedom, to not live in obedience is to disregard and to devalue 
what has already been given to you. It's to disregard and devalue what Christ went to the cross for, to disregard and devalue his sacrifice for you. And the reality is, is that being obedient isn't just a good idea, but it is a command in and of itself. 2 John 5, 6 says, Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to as a commandment. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. We know that we're commanded to obey. But now I want to talk about what that actually looks like, to obey. And here it says that we're commanded to walk in love. We're to walk in love, and to walk in love, it says here, it says that we need to love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. You're actually demonstrating love in your own life when you listen to what he has to say. Listen to what Jesus had to say when he was asked what the greatest commandments were. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. I always found that fascinating because those two, two commandments sums up the entire law. Right? If you love God, you're not going to have another God before him. If you love God, you're not going to sacrifice to idols. And if you love one another, you're not going to steal, kill, or murder one another. You're not going to do stuff that is going to be detrimental or harmful to someone else if you love them. Jesus also commanded us to love one another explicitly. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So we're commanded to love, and we find out that love actually looks like following his commandments because when we follow his commandments, we'll actually love one another. Like we just said, the, to, the, the, the two commandments to love, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and to love your neighbor, the commandments to love actually fulfills the entire law. And here we see that love and obeying are actually tied together. When we love others, we're obeying God. When we walk in love, we are obeying God. And by obeying God, we're demonstrating our love for Him. So when we understand that, then we can understand something else. Did you know that obedience is an act of worship? By being obedient to God, you're actually worshiping Him. You're Did you guys know what worship means, where the word worship comes from? It's actually worship. You're declaring his worth. So by being obedient, you're declaring his worth. You're declaring his authority. Therefore, you are worshiping him in doing so. And it's one of the ways that you can honor God. It's just by being obedient to his word. And I know in my own life, when I begin to recognize that just by being obedient, I can be glorifying God in my own life, I gain victory in areas in my life that I had been struggling in. Because just in being obedient, you're giving God the glory and honor that He deserves, what He is worth. Amen? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. If you want to be obedient 
and walk in obedience, you're going to have to take every thought captive to be successful. If we allow our thoughts to run unchecked, that's when all of a sudden crazy stuff starts happening in our lives. We begin to, to justify. We begin to create excuses. We begin, if we don't take care of the thoughts in our mind, we'll begin to get wrapped up in other stuff and do things we shouldn't be doing. And if we allow our thoughts to run unchecked, we'll find ourselves that they end up in places that we don't want them to be in. And sometimes they'll end up in places you can't even figure out how they got there. Has anybody ever been laying in bed praying and all of a sudden you're thinking about that time you used to work for Frito-Lay and you accidentally walked in on the manager of that Frito-Lay, of a, of a Quick Mart when she was using the bathroom? Anybody ever done that? I've done that because it happened in real life. And I remember one time I was praying and next thing you know, I'm thinking about this horrible situation that happened. And I wondered, how did my head get from praying for somebody to be healed to running off and doing that thing? You guys may think I'm crazy. Maybe, maybe you don't have my memory, but I'm sure you've been sitting praying and you, all of a sudden you're like, well, how did I get to where I'm at? And have you ever followed that back? You're like, oh, okay, I got to hear. If you think about it, I got to hear from here, here to here, here. And you realize you made like 17 jumps in your thought process to get to where you were. It's like you're playing this, the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon with your mind, trying to figure out how you got to somewhere. But that's because we let our mind run unchecked. We don't deal with what's happening. Matter of fact, one of the best ways you can keep your mind in check when you're praying is to pray out loud. It's a whole lot harder for your mind to run when you're actually speaking than when you're just praying in your mind. But the reality is, is we have to take these thoughts captive. Are you dealing with an area of sin in your life? And all of a sudden that temptation pops into your head, you take it captive and you remove it and you replace it with something else. For me personally, I just begin to worship, begin to praise Jesus because it's impossible to look at sin when you're looking at him. You can't do both at the same time. But you have to take those thoughts captive when they pop into your head. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Great way to keep those thoughts captive. Replace those thoughts that sneak in with heavenly thoughts. And if those thoughts show up, you grab them and you kick them out. One of my favorite expressions for this is that you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest. Stuff's going to pop in your head. That's just the way our brains work. But you don't have to let it stay there. You don't have to let it form those thoughts that, that turn into lust and desire and then finally uh, give birth to sin. You don't have to let them stay there. Take them captive. Luke 6, 46 through 49, he says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the steam stream broke against that house, and he could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. One of the questions that we must ask ourselves as Christians is, why do we call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he says? If you're going to call him Lord, then by definition, you have to do what he says. You have to listen to his commands. We call him Lord, but do we do what he tells us? 
And when we don't, we're just setting ourselves up to be torn apart and ripped away. See, the Bible says that if you, if you're, if you build your, your, your house on the foundation of the Word, which is His commandments, then, then your foundation is like a solid rock and the, the wind and the rain, it comes. But the house doesn't blow over. But the person who builds their life on that wishy-washy word, they only kind of believe, they're only kind of doing it halfway. When their foundation is sand instead of rock, then when the, the storm comes, their house is washed away. And there is strength and protection and endurance in being obedient. Hearing his word and doing it, obeying his command, it allows us to build our house on a firm foundation. And here's the reality, church, is that it doesn't matter if your house is built on a firm foundation or if your house is built on sand, the storms will come. The floods will come. That's happening to all of us. The question is, will your house stand when it does? And the only way for it to stand is to spend time in his word, to understand it, to be obedient to his word, and to live like he asks us to live. Amen? And the thing is, when you'll do that, you are actually walking in strength. Second Peter 1, 3-7 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue virtue with knowledge knowledge with self-control that's something that uh we don't have in this day and age, not nearly enough. It says, in self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And I want you to know that God has given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. He actually fixed our sin problem. He fixed before we were saved, it was impossible not to sin. But now that we are saved because he's given us a new spirit inside of us, we have the victory. It is possible to live without sin. He's given us a new life. He has made us brand new. He has freed us from sin and darkness. And he has given us the ability to be obedient to him. He's given us the ability to walk in wholeness because we have freedom from that sin that was holding us down. We're no longer slaves to sin, so we're able to live godly lives. Romans 6.18 says, Having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. One of, the, one of the scriptures that used to always, I didn't quite understand it, so I realized that anything that you're a slave to has full control over your life. That means when we were slaved to sin, that means that it controlled and dictated everything that we did in our lives. And then I heard we're a slave to righteousness. I mean, that doesn't sound well. The, the, the slave connotation isn't good. But then I realized that being a slave to righteousness means righteousness dictates everything that I do in my life. It is what directs and pushes forward everything in my life. And if I am a slave to righteousness and I'm in obedience to righteousness, then my life is going to be righteous. Amen? Sin no longer dictates our steps, but righteousness does. And his glory and excellence are what guarantees and provides the reality of his life. That it says here, the glory and excellence is what gives us all these precious and very great promises so that through them we could become partakers of the divine nature and escape from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. 
There are so many things that are going on in this world because of sinful desires. We've made them okay. What the world calls, uh, what is evil, the world calls good. And not only are there people that are, that are uh, uh, being okay with that, turning a blind eye to it, but now they're not only just allowing it, but they're supporting it in this world. They're saying that it's a good thing. And that's what we've escaped from. We've escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. We don't have to be beholden to that anymore because he has set us completely free. And it's essential to the gospel that we understand this. But difficult to have a true revelation of it. That's why you need to spend time in your word and meditate and study and think about these things. The reality is is that his promises are based on his merit and not our own. And that's an incredible thing. That means that, that even when we mess up, we have an opportunity. We still have an advocate with the Father. We don't have to stay where we were. I don't know about you, but when I examine my own life, yes, even as the pastor, there's issues that, that, that I'm, I'm still working through. God has his hand on my life, and every day I get better. Every day I take steps forward. But the truth is, I'm so glad that, that the, the, the having this divine promise to be a, a partaker of the divine nature, uh, having all of that has nothing to do with my performance, but it's all based on his, as long as I'm walking towards him every day. And I, I continue to be obedient and take every thought captive, and every day I look more and more like Christ, because I mean, you know that's the ultimate goal to reach the measure and the stature that is the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. Some people, when they hear me say, I think it's possible that we can live without sin, people balk at that and say, oh no, humans still sin. Yeah, I get humans still sin. We haven't reached the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, but that is our goal. That means if that's our goal, then it's a possibility. And if we have a full revelation of what's accomplished in us, then we can live that out in our lives. God is every to give it, give it all to us. And then he says, for this very reason, what very reason? That we have the divine nature and we've escaped from the corruption that is in this world. For that very reason, we should make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And remember, we already learned that living in love is obeying the commandments of God. Every day we should be moving further and further towards this. We've been given that divine nature. And as a result, we need to be diligent in these things, and that's operating in faith, being morally excellent, growing in knowledge, practicing self-control, persevering, being godly, and like he said, brotherly kindness and love. And then... He goes on in First Peter, or Second Peter 1, 8 through 11, you find Peter saying this, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, keep them from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These qualities that he's talking about, 
were the ones we just talked about, right? The perseverance, the self-control. This is the next extension. We just read Second Peter three, Second Peter one three through seven. Now Second Peter one eight through eleven. He says, therefore, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, she can say, but hey, I don't have these things. I don't have these qualities. They're not who I am. But the truth is, as the Scripture says, that they are yours. If you're born again, these qualities are yours. And not only that, they're increasing. And as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus and operate from our divine nature. And if you're born again, you have a divine nature. That has been given you. It's not something you earned. It's not something that you somehow accomplished. It's what Jesus accomplished. And you're partaking in the divine nature. And if that divine nature is yours, these qualities are yours. And they'll continue to increase as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus. And we're not ineffective because these qualities were received from Jesus. How many of you know that when it comes from Him, it's a good thing? It's not something that's going to fail. It's not something that's going to fall away. Our ability to have an impact for God is not dependent on our own abilities nor limited by our own shortcomings. Jesus has given us the tools to be useful and to be fruitful. Not only is the ability to walk in holiness an incredible gift. Do you guys realize that? That, that we're so much more than forgiven. Forgiven is good. But we're set free to be able to walk in holiness, to be able to walk in obedience. That is an incredible gift. And when God asks us to be obedient in certain areas of our life, He's not trying to take away our fun. He's not trying to ruin our life. He's not trying to push us down or have control over us. He's actually telling us these things because it's the best things for us. It's how we can be healthy. It's how we can be successful. Because all those things that He's been asking us to stay away from will kill you eventually. It's an incredible gift to not only be commanded to walk in holiness, but because we are partakers of the divine nature, that we have the ability to walk in holiness. And I believe that if we walk in obedience and live out these qualities that we just looked at in our lives, because we have them with our new nature, then ultimately we will not fail. And the great news is, if you stumble along the way, you just have to get back up. You just have to get back up. There's no failure that's permanent as long as you're willing to get back up. The only way you fail is if you stay down. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up seven times. So if you find yourself in your life realizing that there's areas that you're not being disobedient, this is not a time to feel condemned. See, condemnation says there's no way out. It might be a time to be convicted, but not condemned. Because conviction says there is a way out. There's victory at the other end. So church, I would encourage you, and all of us, not just you, myself included, let's ensure that we're living our lives obedient to the one who gave everything for us. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.